0: Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. This week, I'm happy to bring you yet another fantastic course from the Commune Library. As you may know, in addition to being a podcast, Commune is also a video course platform featuring a wide range of programs from top teachers on personal growth, yoga, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. Essentially, everything that you need to be holistically well. This week, you will be hearing from Ayurvedic practitioner Nidhi Pandya. For those of you who are new to Ayurveda, here's a little background. Ayurveda is a holistic system of medicine that is indigenous and widely practiced in India. And the word Ayurveda itself is a Sanskrit term meaning the science of life. Ayu means life or daily living and Veda is knowing. Ayurveda is thus a medical system that deals with health in all of its aspects, physical health, mental health, spiritual well-being, social welfare, environmental considerations, and dietary and lifestyle habits, as well as treating and managing specific diseases. In her program, Ayurvedic Nutrition, Nidhi shares a holistic approach to nourishing your body through the lens of Ayurveda. You'll learn how to better time your meals, strengthen digestion, use traditional Ayurvedic spices, and explore the connection between what you eat and how you actually feel. By the end of this course, you will have a newfound clarity and an action plan for lasting health in a way that's right for you. So over the course of the next five days, we will be releasing the first five parts of Nidhi's course. Now, if you want to watch the full video version, which includes 10 core lessons plus a downloadable workbook, well, then I encourage you to go to onecommune.com slash trial and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's onecommune.com slash trial. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full length version of Ayurvedic Nutrition. I will always email you before your free trial is up. But if you continue on to become a Commune member, well, thank you. Our members are the key reason, really. We are able to create and share free content like this. And if you regularly tune into this podcast, I also ask that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. Tap follow show and leave a review. It makes a huge difference. And now here's day two where Nitty provides you with the five elements as a framework to understand your own composition and how the elements work in your body. This is a great tool for understanding what you need to replenish yourself. Here's Nitty.
1: So this is a very exciting part of this segment because we're actually going to learn to read the code of the universe. And it becomes really a magical discovery when you can understand, wow, this is how the world functions and the universe functions and the order. So for this segment, it can get a little technical, but I want you to kind of really sit back and enjoy the little nuances that you can see as we study these concepts. So the first thing, right, according to the Ayurvedic understanding, the basic, the basic formation of the universe and everything that's on it was created with five elements. And as I say these five elements, I want you to kind of think about what they might mean to you. And these five elements are earth, water, fire, wind, and ether. Now for the creation of this planet, five elements come together in different proportions to create different life on the planet. And since we're made of these five elements, it takes these five elements to feed and nourish us. So once we understand our composition of how these five elements work in our body, then we start to understand what we need to replenish these five elements. So right here at the start, right, without you even going deeper into what these five elements are and what they mean, let me pick your brain and ask you to look at these images and tell me if you were to find a a dominant element in these foods, what would it be? So first, let's look at cheese, right? I want you to just look at this cheese and say that, hey, this has either a dominance of earth, water, fire wind or ether and think about its texture think about its density how it might feel in your body and what element would you pin on it now let's look at these chilies and once again i want you to think of what is the dominant element in these chilies is it earth is it water is it fire is it wind is it ether How does it feel on your tongue? How does it feel in your temperature? Let's look at popcorn. And I want you to also compare this popcorn to your cheese and say, how does it feel in its density? How does it feel in its weight? Let's say you said cheese was dominant in earth. What do you think popcorn is then dominant in? It is, is it fire, wind? How does it feel like? Now let's look at this kimchi and notice uh, the spicy kimchi, notice that if you think it is fire dominant and if you think there is a secondary dominance when you compare it with the chilies that we first saw. And by doing this exercise, right, I just want you to activate your own inner understanding of the five elements, because the truth is we carry this intelligence. We we know it already, but we've forgotten that we know it and we want to awaken it. And with this, right, with this, sitting with this now, let's move into each element and see how the planet comes together and how our bodies come together. And then how we can replenish our bodies using this understanding of the five elements. So let's begin by understanding the element of earth. And let's literally imagine our planet, right? For our planet to work together. Let's just think of all of this earth, this soil. And now you think about what is the function of this? It's, wow, it's really giving structure to our planet. It's also very heavy and dense and grounding. So this is that element which kind of gives structure, holds grounds, it's the building block for the planet. Now think about our body and what is a building block for the body. The basic structure comes from skeleton which is also dominant in earth because it's heavy and it's dense and it gives structure, maybe even our muscles. The understanding then becomes that anything, right, that is tangible, that has matter and can provide structure and grounding is dominant in earth. The truth is everything that contains matter, everything has some amount of earth, but earth dominant substances are those that are slightly heavier. And when we look at our foods, when we extend the same understanding to our foods and we say, hey, what foods are you know, heavier, feeling feeling fuller, denser, and kind of have a lot of structure. And the foods in that category are usually lentils and grains and meats and nuts and seeds. So just as the earth is a building block, just as your skeletal system is really the building block of your body, similarly, these foods are really building block foods. Right, and, and we don't need to now be stuck at this understanding till we actually go into understanding the other five elements and a few other ways of looking at a food. But it's a good place to start by saying, ah, there are foods that are Earth-dominant. And Earth-dominant foods, if they are heavy and dense, that's the action they will have on my body. They will make me heavy, they will build me up. So property determines action. Now, let's go back to the planet and look at our second element. I mean, the whole world is made of land and water. And if it was only land, it would be all dry. If it was only earth, it would be extremely dry and arid. Life wouldn't exist. And that's where the softness of the water, the coolness of the water comes and kind of really creates this fluid environment, softens things up. And that is really the function of water it softens the earth, it transports substances, it cools things down, it carries things from one place to the other. You see salmon that starts swimming in Australia, end up in another part of the world because water allows for that to happen. It's really a carrier, a softener, a cooler. When we look at our own body, right? There are fluids, there's mucus lining, there's plasma, there's blood, there's reproductive fluids, there's amniotic fluids. We are really water dominant which means that our foods also carry this water dominance. And what foods carry this water dominance? And we look at good fats, we look at milk, we look at ghee, we look at honey. In fact, there's water content in fruits, in some vegetables that carry excess water. And now when you consume these foods that have excess water, they replenish the water element in your body. Now let's come to the third element right which is going back to the universe if there was just water and land what is really required for transformation for life to happen on the planet and that is the sun fire the third element is fire without fire earth and water would just be stagnant building blocks they would be heavy and immobile and nothing would happen But the fire comes in and creates transformation. In fact, anywhere in the world where there is fire, where there is heat, or where there is transformation, there is heat, even if you were just charging your phone. So similarly, in our bodies, right, as we see metabolic processes in the universe, we also see them in our body. Anytime your cell goes through a transformation, when your foods are being digested, when your nervous system is carrying these electrical signals to your brain, your eyesight, your reproduction, procreation, that's all dominant in the element of fire. While earth and water are building blocks and can be felt, and they really also form a big part of your food, fire is more subtle. It can't be felt, but it exists. And through its subtle heat, it kind of creates transformation let's go to the fourth element which is the element of wind now again let's go back to the planet there is earth and there is water and there's fire and things are happening but really wind is required and now wind is While, yes, its manifestation as a a strong wind is one, wind is also the kinetic energy stored in things. It's the potential for the apple to fall from the tree, for the birds to take flight, the ability for pollen to make its way from one place to another. That wind allows for transportation of substances. It lends to that motion that even allows the water to flow even in our body, right? The potential for movement, the inhalation, the exhalation, the transportation of our food inside our gut. In fact, substances in our blood are being transported and moving all the time, your limbs moving. Now that's all a dominant function of wind. But wind also is destructive. The function of wind in our body, while it's an important one, while it keeps us in motion, the danger for wind is having too much wind, having too much movement, having the foods go down too soon. Wind depletes. And we see certain foods that are lighter, that are like wind, the basic nature of wind being drying, cooling, lightening, like lighter. And we see foods like that. When I use the example of popcorn or you know, leafy salads, they are all light in terms of their calories, but they have, in fact, many times when people eat a lot of salads, they may even experience this wind in their system. So wind has that ability to move substances, but it can also create destruction by itself when the earth is not grounding the wind. Let's move into our fifth element, and that is ether. Now, ether is a point of nothingness. It's from where the world started. It's just space, and space holds potential for things to happen. In fact, I often use the example of a vacuum-sealed pack of chips. And if you were to drill a hole, the first element that goes in is wind, is air, right? And then anything else can happen. So ether is actually that emptiness which allows for the potential for something to grow. And ether is also dangerous because wind can come into ether. When we look at our human bodies, the cavities we carry, or sometimes even excess expulsion of, let's say, your bowels, when you have a baby, ether is created. When you have a surgery surgery and a body part is taken out, ether is created in your body. Maybe when you're excessively dieting or fasting, ether is created. And ether is great because there's potential to create good quality building blocks of earth and water. But ether is also dangerous when left unattended because it's going to be taken over by wind. And wind eventually dries, us being warm and moist beings, drying is dying. So now with this general understanding of five elements, I want you to start just tuning into them. And in fact, even in your own body and mindset, and you see people even carry this in their mindset when they feel heavy or earthy or grounded, or maybe just, you know, just very soft and flowy like water, or feisty, like fire, or just all over the place and volatile, like wind. And how are we going to put this understanding now into our foods? Because if I'm made up of these five elements, I need these five elements to replenish my body. But I want to make sure that they combine in the right way so that the environment of the gut still remains in that homeostatic range, in that range of warm and moist. So the next part is going to take us into that intelligence where these five elements combine and how they combine so you can have that perfect balance and then be able to choose foods that will keep you in homeostasis. So I just want you to start sitting back with this understanding of five elements and noticing their dominance in the world around you. What's useful that in the homework section, uh, there are two different quizzes, which will allow you to further your understanding. And the first quiz lists down foods. I want you to think about those foods, their texture, how they feel in your body, and then mark out what the dominant element in each one of those foods is. And sometimes you might come up with two two elements because there may be, while all five elements do exist, there may be a primary and secondary that feel dominant. You can write a P on the primary and the S on the secondary. But I also want to give you a second exercise where you can compare two foods that may be dominant in the same element. So for example, there may be two foods that are both dominant in the element of earth. But I want to give you this opportunity to look at these two foods and say which one is more earthy. Because when you actually start choosing foods for yourself, and let's say your goal is to build and build muscle, and you're looking for those earthy foods, the understanding and being able to assess these foods that way will allow you to make better choices. So as we move along and understand how to combine these elements together and how they show up in the taste of your food, it'll become increasingly easy to become your own health guru and to really feel empowered to create your own meals. So the universe is such an intelligent place. If we just had to dogmatically use the five elements and use them to replenish our bodies, it would feel like such a chore. So how do we make this replenishment exciting? And for that, the universe had a plan and it said, let's make it taste good. So eating then becomes a joy and taste becomes that pleasure. So now we come into, in this segment, we look at the six tastes that foods may potentially carry and why those six tastes become important when it comes to choosing the right foods. You may have heard that for a meal to be ayurvedically balanced, it needs to include all the six tastes. Now, the beautiful part of this is that every single taste carries certain elements in dominance so that when you combine all the six tastes in the right proportion, You have exactly what you need to replicate your human body and the way it functions so let's go ahead and look at these six tastes and see how those elements come alive and how they can be combined so the six tastes are and i'm going to use sanskrit words but i'm going to translate them for you madhura or sweet tasting amla or sour tasting lavana Or salty, katu or pungent, dikta or bitter, and kashaya or astringent. And now these tastes, right? Like I said, they are beyond tastes. The tastes actually carry secret code to how that food might function in your body. And I want you to just sit back for a moment and think about how powerful that is. So far, we've just been thinking of taste as, oh, this is what I like to eat. But when you think about the fact that based on the taste of a food, it's going to carry a certain function in my body. Now this really was the plan for the universe for us to be able to understand this and thereby choose foods. Let's look at our first taste, which is Madhura Rasa. Madhura Rasa or sweet foods are essentially foods that are complex carbohydrates, complex sugars, sweet tasting foods. They are always rich in the elements of earth and water. And when we see what sweet tasting foods do or anything which has complex carbs does, that's what it does. It builds us up like earth and water build build us up. But also, when you choose good foods in this category, and we'll go into the list of what that is, this is your basic raw material for cell building. Foods that are dominant in madhura rasa, or sweet tasting foods, are important for essential nourishment because they replicate the building blocks. Now, when I'm talking about madhura rasa, I'm talking about foods like grains, wheat rice, nuts and seeds certain meats milk good fats these all come under that category when it comes to sweetness. a good quality rock sugar jaggery they all make it to that list of healthy madhura rasa foods when you're planning your meal portions this becomes a majority a big part of your portion because Every single day our cells are dying and new cells need to be rebuilt and for that it needs raw material. So good quality madhura rasa is a big portion of your meal dominant in earth and water. Let's take the second taste which is amla rasa. What is the function of this amla rasa and what elements is it dominant in? So the function of rasa of taste, I want you to even think of something sour. Think of a lemon or think of a tarty candy. And even the thought of it, right, brings out saliva for a lot of people. It makes you salivate. And that's exactly what it does. Sour taste is important because it brings out your fire, your digestive enzymes. It activates all of that. And it allows for your foods then to be consumed not only with joy, but also to break down effectively. If there is something that stimulates your digestive enzymes, it's probably warming. So I want you to think about how sour feels on bruised skin. It stings a little bit, which brings us to its elemental dominance, which is fire. So sour foods dominant in the element of fire are able to stimulate the appetite and metabolize the foods effectively. It's really what makes foods tasty and makes you want to eat. So that becomes an important part of the diet. You can find sourness in lemons, in limes, in sometimes pomegranate juice, if you're familiar with amla berries are, in amla berries, in tamarind, a lot of different cultures used a lot of different items to bring in this tartness, but in a small quantity, this is an essential part of your everyday food. Let's move to the third rasa, which is salty. Now, what is the function of salty and what elements are dominant in it? Now, when you think of um, salt, and I want you to imagine if you're living in a country, if you've heard when there is ice on the roads, salt is often used to melt that ice, which means that salt is inherently warming. And that's exactly what salt does. It is again inherently warming and because of anything that is warm, transforms, heat transforms. So salt pierces through your foods, allows for those liquids, for the osmosis within the cells of your food to happen so that they can start breaking down and churning. So what salt also does, right? It comes under a category of foods called kshara, which are, kind of alkalies that scrape out your sides. So what salt does is right, as you're ingesting those earthy and watery foods, the bulkier part of your meals, and they often might really get clogged in your channels, salt will allow for the piercing to happen and the scraping so that everything makes it right into your gut. Now, salty foods, right, besides salt, which could be Himalayan or rock salt or iodized salt, processed salt, salty foods are also kelp, seaweed, spinach. A small proportion of salty foods are important, again, to break down foods, to keep everything scraped and to keep everything being routed downwards. Now, let's go to our fourth taste. The fourth taste is pungent. It's katu, And pungent foods, right? spicy foods, as the sun lends its energy for transformation, that's really what spicy foods do. And spices in foods rather than spicy foods, those spicy foods carry that subtle potential, that dominance in the element of fire again to break down foods. But they do it very beautifully because when you use your spices right, They will not overheat you, but they will just combine with your foods in the right manner to break them down. In fact, they also have the ability, special ability, to break down fats, which maybe the salty foods don't and the sour foods, in spite of being fire-dominant, don't. So the spices really break down plaque, they break down fats, and they help you in that effective fat metabolism. Now, when I talk about spicy foods or spices, I I want you to get this one understanding. A good spice, a good spice that you want to use is one that is called a spice, but is not spicy on your tongue, because that will still break you down, but not overheat you because you never want to be overheated. You want to stay warm. Sometimes when people first move into Ayurveda, they may get obsessed with this whole world of spiciness. And being overly spicy right when something is overly spicy again it's taking you it's heating up your blood more than you want to creating excessive transformation and inflammation now let's go to our fifth taste right which is tiktarasa, tarasa and it's beautiful that you include small quantities of the salty of the sour and the spicy and then there's this bitter bitter foods You know, some examples are arugula, kale, fenugreek greens, spinach, basically a lot of even leafy greens and herbs. They carry this dominance in this bitter taste. Now let's examine what this bitter taste does right? Now, bitter tastes or leafy greens, when you notice how they feel, like even if you hold them, you know, let's say lentils in one palm and these greens in one palm, they're significantly lighter. So if this is earth, this is wind. And that's what they are. They're dominant in wind. And they're important in small quantities because when all of this active heat and metabolic activity is happening, things are churning and digestion is happening, your body gets quite heated up and your blood as a result can get inflamed so this cool windy tikta rasa bitter herbs can now go and scrape off that excessive excessive slime, which may have gotten into your blood as a result of metabolism, as well as cool it down and bring it back to its comfortable space. So the basic function of bitter foods or tiktarasa foods is then to really cool your blood, to detoxify your liver and bring you back into that homeostatic range. I want you to think about that your blood is really a carrier of nutrients and substances throughout your body it's what systemically flows so it's very important for the blood to be at its right consistency and temperature because it is supplying nutrients to every single organ Mm Now, that being said, when this taste is overdone, it can again affect the viscosity of the blood and the quality of the blood and the environment of the gut. It can overly cool it down. It can make it very, very dry uh, because its basic function is scraping excess slime and cooling things down. And you don't want too much of that to happen in your warm and moist gut. So you want to include, include these in small proportions in your meals. Now let's go to our last taste, which is astringent taste. And even just the thought of astringency makes you feel like it's dry in your throat. And when I'm talking so much about moisture and the importance of it, why would we have a drying taste? So. Now, examples of some astringent foods are lentils can be slightly astringent, some beans are astringent, potatoes are astringent. In fact, even honey, though it's in fluid consistency, can actually feel quite drying on your tongue. So it has an astringent taste. And what this astringent taste does and understands is that while we want our body to be moist, sometimes it can go in the range of over overly slimy and humidity and foods also can be overly liquefied as digestion is happening but that liquid needs to dry out so it takes form and it can move through your digestive system and be eliminated in your bowels so astringent foods again included in small quantities will allow for your foods to be bound for excess liquid in the foods to dry out foods that are rich in in a lot of fiber also tend to be astringent and that's why we see that fiber often leads to a good bowel movement so like that right when you look at the six tastes starting at madhura rasa sweet tasting foods which form a good portion of your meal you add a little bit of salty and sour foods you put in your spices, put in some greens and make sure there is something astringent in there, whether whether it's lentils or it's something else that's a fibrous vegetables, then you know that you've gotten all the elements in their right proportions and your body can keep transforming. So this is how the intelligence of the elements shows up in the 60s and You can use that intelligence to really then plan out your meals and to keep yourself in that right range that your body needs to be in. Now, as though understanding about the elements and the six tastes was not enough, I'm going to throw one more spin on it because it's very important. And that is there is something called the potency of foods and that again comes into play. And the potency of foods is, is this food inherently warm or inherently cooling? And again, if the temperature and the environment, the moisture in my body is so important, then again, the temperature that my foods carry also become really important. And There are certain foods that are inherently warming and spices are obviously warming, but anything else which has taken the process of heat, for example, fermented foods, fried foods, they all come under the category of warming foods. And they become important when you feel like your gut has become cold, uh, especially after let's say a long diet of salads. And that's why we see this great importance given to macrobiotic foods sometimes because when the gut has become cold and the probiotic environment has become really dry, then those warming foods become really important. There's a category of cooling foods, right? And again, these cooling foods are usually sweeter like milk and almonds and ghee and rice and coconuts. Their basic taste is on the sweeter side, and that's what gives away their potency. And they again become important because when you have inflammatory conditions, then you want to include more cooling foods in your diet. right? So warming and cooling foods, understanding of them becomes more important in two different circumstances. A, when your body is actively experiencing a symptom and you feel like this is either on the cooler side or the warmer side, then you can kind of pick some of these foods and include them in your diet and B, when you're in a certain seasonal environment. So if you're in winter, you'll pick certain warming foods. If you're in the summer months, you're gonna pick cooling foods. And again, through this little magic, you know, choosing the right foods and the right seasons for the right body, and to be able to do it all by yourself, it tremendously empowers you. And this confidence and intuition that we can create then in our foods actually radiates to all different aspects of our life i can tell you from my experience right i actually start noticing elements in people you know somebody can be earth dominant and fire dominant and you start interacting with people based on what your mindset needs so with this we're going to learn how to put them put this all together in the next part of the segment So how do we put all of this together now? And this may be a good time to revisit your worksheets and look at some of your traditional foods and see that, oh, were they really balanced in these six days? And the chances are they were. I see a lot of dishes which had this intelligence. For example, mujadara, which is a Middle Eastern, lentils, rice, uh, caramelized onions with olive oil, usually eaten with a small small portion of tabbouleh. They were actually created this way. In fact, even like a good Japanese fried rice, which has a little bit of vegetables, grain, which is your primary, uh, you know, your primary madhura rasa tasting, good sesame oil, some spices thrown into it. A lot of these foods traditionally were balanced, right? So now how do we bring this and apply this to our modern lives today? And one of the easiest places to start is bowl building. So start building your bowls and I want to just give you some ideas, right? Pick something that's madhura rasa, so pick a grain, uh, pick a lentil, you may pick a meat, so that's the base of your bowl. I personally, when I'm cooking my greens, would advise adding spices to the cooking so that the breakdown begins right there and you've bought in your pungent flavour. And then making a nice dressing on the side where you include the salty and the sour and maybe even more spices and even liquids, you know, put in good olive oil, put in good ghee or sesame oil and kind of concoct a little dressing. Now that again brings in many other elements of your water, of other tastes as well. Throwing in some greens and bringing tikta rasa or bitter tasting, throwing in some fleshy veggies, which again support the madhura rasa and the nutrient part, the nourishing nutrient part of your diet, and then adding them all together. And for this, I have offered you a cheat sheet in the worksheets, right, where you can choose from something in the madhura rasa in the different tastes as well as various dressings. And then this kind of custom, you know, custom doing your own Ayurvedic meals, picking and choosing things from your own kitchen will allow you to experience, to have this Ayurvedic complete six taste experience and to even feel it in your body. Now, as a part of your homework and and support system for this particular segment, I also want you to kind of get into your kitchen and open your refrigerator, open your pantry and see what do you have in there and what tastes do they dominate in, what elements do they dominate in. I've also given you a cheat sheet of my preferred items from each of these categories, which seem to be naturally balanced. And also with information with how you can balance and consume these foods. So as you let all of this understanding sit with you and assimilate and sleep over it, it'll become more and more clear. The only thing that I ask is take this beyond our class, take it to your life, take it to your kitchen, take it to your conversations. And once you learn it, once you learn to look at the world through this lens, there's no undoing, you've cracked the code, you've learned to live in this manner.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this excerpt from Nidhi Pandya's course, Ayurvedic Nutrition. If you wanna watch the full video version, which includes 10 core lessons, plus a downloadable workbook, well, I encourage you to go to onecommune.com slash trial and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's onecommune.com slash trial. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full-length version of Ayurvedic Nutrition. Of course, feel free to email me anytime with suggestions or criticism or the constructive variety at jeffk at onecommune.com okay that's all from the commune for today my name is jeff Krasno, and i'm here for you